turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 1. We want to pick up our study in verse 15, our second portion now, and then take it down to verse 23. But this morning, Paul just brings us to that place to seek the spirit of wisdom. And it's important that we would have the wisdom of God. We come to saving grace, and uh, sometimes we don't understand concerning uh, the spirit of the wisdom of God, that we would have God's insight, God's knowledge, and we draw that from God's Word. Now, some of us get the opportunity uh, to go to higher education, and obviously we need education. And then some that get the degrees and such, that's great. But as a Christian, as a believer, we need the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man will only take us to where man wants to take you. And their philosophies and their insights and also uh, the system of this world. But we need the wisdom of God. And you're going to see this morning that Paul brings the Ephesians to that place after coming to saving grace. So last week in our study of the book of Ephesians... Uh, we looked at part one of Ephesians chapter one, our redemption in Jesus Christ. Paul shared that we are a chosen people, an elect people, an ordained people, called of God, predestined, adopted, redeemed, purchased, and saved in Jesus Christ through his precious blood that we speak of so much at Calvary that took place 2,000 years ago. Now Paul brings us to that place where he encourages the Ephesians, and the second part, to seek the spirit of wisdom. This is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of man. God provide for all of us uh, to seek education, and we all need education, but as Christians, we must add to that education the wisdom of God, or we will just receive an education and the wisdom of man, the wisdom of the world. Now, if you're taking notes in James chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to what James says. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And so the position that we take as Christians, if we're lacking wisdom, if we're seeking wisdom, let us ask of God. Husbands, let me speak to you this morning. We're the prophet, the priest, the king of the home. That's what the Bible teaches. And as you're raising the family, we need wisdom of God. Lord, give me wisdom to be a good husband. Give me wisdom to be a good father. Give me wisdom to be a provider for the household. And moms, we also pray for wisdom for you. Lord, did I be a, a, a good householder? Did I be a, a good wife to my husband? Lord, give me wisdom in this area. Teach me the oracles of God that I might put an application as I go to work. As I go to school, as I go even to the gym, Lord, that I would seek the wisdom of God. And if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we're going to break down this word wisdom because Paul's going to pray for that uh, to the church at Ephesus. And so we look at this Greek word. The word wisdom is Sophia. And to understand the word Sophia, Vine's Dictionary says it's the insight into the true nature of things. So here James says, if you're lacking wisdom, ask of God. Paul's going to pray for wisdom for the church at Ephesus. But the wisdom that they're speaking of 
is seeking godly wisdom. And that is seeking the insight into the true nature of the things of God pertaining to God and especially in his precious word. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Be careful with the wisdom of the world. Obviously, there's a portion of that that we need, but we can get so sucked in to the world system. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man. And look at what the wisdom of man and the world has gotten to some that have followed only that. How we need the wisdom of God. We're going to speak about King Solomon, was a great man, was a man of wisdom. And yet he got so caught up into it, he forgot about the wisdom of God. So I wanted to give you a breakdown, and we're going to look at the word in the Old Testament, as we just did in the New Testament. The Old Testament, the word for wisdom is chokmah, and it means, uh, uh, it speaks of a special meaning of dexterity, skill, such as when we speak of the skill of one that has the arts. It also, and more generally means, to have skill, listen, in intelligence, in sensible issues, skill in judicial issues, skill with reason and using it, such as the skill that a judge should have. A judge has skill to make the right decisions as he goes to school and such, and especially in the Old Testament. And to have the skill of a judge, it speaks of that in 1 Kings chapter 2. Thus the wisdom of Solomon, as we mentioned earlier, is manifested in the scriptures that he had acute judgment. You can study that in 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 10. Yet the Bible reminds us, and I want you to listen to this, man, that King Solomon in all his wisdom acquired 700 wives and 300 concubines. I say, what happened to the man's wisdom? You imagine the trouble that he got into? And here's the key. He was granted all the wisdom that God had offered unto him. In fact, we're told that King Solomon, that the Lord comes to him back in 1 Kings, I believe it's about chapter 3, and he comes to him. He's going to be the king of Israel, and he says, Solomon, ask of me anything that you want, and I will grant it to you. Now, basically, that's a loaded question. What would you do? What would I do? If God came to you in a vision or a dream, what is it that you want, Bob? I'm going to make you the, uh, the pastor of the church, and I'm going to save you, and, you know, just the whole thing that goes with it. But what is it that you want from me? How can I bless you? Do we think of financial gain right away? Do we think of fortune, fame, materialism, that people would know my name, that people would know our church? Solomon, what is it that you want? The Bible says that Solomon asked of the Lord that he would give him a heart of wisdom. I tell you, that speaks a lot. And God did give the man wisdom. In fact, people came from all over the, the world at this time, seeking the wisdom of Solomon. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 10 that a woman by the name of Queen Sheba. She came some 1,200 miles from Arabia just to seek out the wisdom of Solomon. And yet I just read to you that he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and these wives, many of them, listen to me, were foreign women. Now the Bible doesn't say that we cannot marry out of our race. Please don't draw that from there. 
But the Bible says to not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And so Solomon was marrying these foreign women that were not following Jehovah God. And you begin to read about his life. And all of a sudden, these wives of Solomon, Solomon, build me an altar for my God. And the other one, build me an altar for my God. And there goes Solomon, and he's doing all this for his wife, and it took his heart away from God. And so where was this man's wisdom? Where was the wisdom that God gave him? And he made such great decisions. The nation of Israel was very prosperous because of Solomon, because of what God worked in and through him. In fact, the the nation of Israel in the time of Solomon that the silver was nothing. It was like the rocks of Israel. There was so much silver. He acquired so much goats and, and, and sheep and, and all kinds of herds of animals. But gold was another thing that he acquired. And yet he was building all these altars to the foreign gods, the wisdom of man. Be careful with that. Now, again, let me give you a more background in the wisdom of the New Testament. As we mentioned earlier, the word Sophia, the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. So we acquire the wisdom of the world and we get from our education and such. But the Apostle Paul declared that the message of the cross is foolishness uh, to the Greek assembling block and to the Jews, he says, but to those who believe and said this, this foolishness of God is the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man. We need so desperately the wisdom of the Lord. Against the wisdom of God, Paul contrasted the wisdom of the world. He spoke of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. and chapter 2, you see it. Human wisdom, chapter 1 again, 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of men, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The wisdom of this age, the world standard, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But what about man's wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Again, like I said, 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 1, you just draw from all that. Man in his fickleness, always seeking out the wisdom. And look at your celebrities with such wisdom. Look at some of your rich that have so much wisdom. We're going to share that verse later. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? But to have such wisdom of the world. Look what I've acquired. Look at my portfolio. Look what I'm ready for my retirement. All that's good. But be careful that we don't leave out. The wisdom of God. And so the key is that we need the wisdom. We need the educational wisdom, but we need the wisdom of God. God asked Solomon again, what is it that you want from me? And he asked for wisdom. What would you say, as I mentioned earlier, would you say, Lord, give me fortune? Give me fame? Give me health? You read the, you see the news and you see some of the things that are going on. This celebrity, this girl, this, this Hilton girl, she gets 45 days in, in jail now for breaking the law so many times and, and her drunkenness and such and, and her reckless driving. And she's wondering why. Because her money has always gotten her out of trouble. I think of all the money and all the wisdom that supposedly Michael Jackson has. Look at the man. He needs salvation so desperately. And so we have to be very careful. And so Paul is going to be speaking about 
this spirit of wisdom. Oh, how we need the wisdom of God. Now, let's go to our text, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. But right before I start this, let me set up what Paul's doing here now. This is Paul's first prayer for the church at Ephesus. The prayer that follows is based on Paul's teaching and conclusion of last week. God's called you. God saved you. And now, church at Ephesus, as you begin to serve God, you need his wisdom. As you begin to uh, serve in your, uh, your ministry or serve in your household, husband, wife, we need the wisdom of God. Parents, let me encourage you. The society and the times that we live in, if your children are in school, boy, we need wisdom to raise them uh, in the ways of God, in the oracles of God. We need to train up, the proverb says, a child in the Lord. And when he is old, he or she will not depart from it. And yet, look what we've taken out of school prayer years ago. Are we taking God's name out of everything? All because of the wisdom of man? And we desperately need God. That's what the scriptures say. And so Paul is going to pray for them. The intercessory prayer that Paul prays, that the spirit of, of wisdom. Lord, grant them wisdom. I'm sure there were those at Ephesus that are saying, well, Paul, you should pray for us for our financial gain or for our jobs and for material. Some of us don't have houses and such, whatever it might be. But God said, pray for them for wisdom. I believe that Paul knew exactly what he was doing. And so we begin here. Look at verse 15 now. Remember, this is Paul's prayer, as we're going to see. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of the saints. And so Paul's prayer begins like this. I've heard about you, you people at Ephesus. I heard about you Christians, that you're serving the Lord, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then your love. For the brethren, your love for the others there at Ephesus. And that's something important because when you come to saving grace, there should be that love and that compassion between you and your Lord. Man, you should fall in love with Jesus. We used to pray that song way back when. We keep falling in love with him over and over again. When I came to saving grace, I was so thankful for the things that God brought me from. You should be so thankful. And as God gives you such love and compassion and grace, and then you're able to love your fellow man. I heard about the love of Christ in you. The faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love that you had. The, the love that you have for the saints, the brethren. Now, when we come to saving grace, we have to guard this heart. Because the enemy wants to snatch you away. The enemy wants to take you back to the world standards, the world condition. And that's another reason why I need the wisdom of God. Because I come to the crossroads and I have to make decisions. Should I go this way or should I go that way? Let me tell you something. 28 years ago when I came to Saving Grace, all of a sudden my friends came out of the woodwork. And they all came over, or they would visit me, or, or they would call me. Hey, let's go have a beer. The temptation. Hey, I got some new pot. Let's try it out. Hey, and, and you know, and all of a sudden I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to do those things no more. And so God gave me wisdom. I started inviting them to church. Well, they started not visiting me anymore. 
my friend Jack meets me at the stop sign. I'm about three weeks in the Lord. I'm excited about Jesus. I'm going to church. I bought me a Bible. I bought me a highlighter. I'm marking things down that I don't even know what I'm marking. We come to the stop, and Jack goes, hey, Bob, honks his horn as we do, you know, and stuff. And then he lifts up a six-pack of beer, and he goes, come on over. And I had my Bible right next to me, and I pick up my Bible, and I show it to him. Come on over here. I want to share something with you. Man, he floors it. He's out of here. Jack never invited me anywhere after that. But you see, we have to guard this heart because the enemy is there. If you're taking notes, let me give you a little story. In Matthew chapter 13, there's a beautiful parable of the sower and the soil. Jesus used farming terms to speak to the people at this time because they would understand. And so Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And this is one of the reasons he's going to go into prayer for them. And so this beautiful parable of the sower and the soil it speaks about the soil. The soil is, the, is man. It speaks of four different furrows, if you may. And, and the soil was cultivated and such, and the seed fell. The seed speaks about the word of God. And the sower basically was Christ as the seed went out. But the Bible says out of those four furrows or those four hearts, only one heart remained. Only one that seed took germinated, brought forth fruit, 60, 80, 100 full. But the other three, the seed was snatched away. The cares of the world. It said that the enemy came and, and, and literally took the seed. Speaks about the birds. And then it speaks about some of the seed couldn't germinate because there was stones and rocks underneath and the roots could not take hold. And see, that's the enemy. And so we have to pray, Lord, guard this heart. And so what was the testimony of the church at Ephesus? As we read here in verse 15, they had their faith in Christ. And then secondly, their love for the saints, their love for others. Interesting that we fall in love with Jesus and then we will fall in love with others. And in that process, church, you fall in love with his word. But let's go on. Look at verse 16 now. And, and Paul begins to mention what he's praying for them. I do not cease to give thanks uh, to you or for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, we look at Paul the Apostle, and God had him to uh, establish many churches. He established the church at Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, uh, we know that the church at Thessalonica, the Corinthian church, the Roman church, I believe that he also wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, we just finished studying on Wednesday nights the book of Romans. And when you get to Romans chapter 16, let me share with you how much Paul knew of the church. There in Romans 16, we have about 33 names, actual names. Paul's giving his farewell address to the church at Rome. He's saying, hey, I'm signing off. But he mentions beautiful saints there by name. You begin there in Romans 16, and he says, salute my dear sister Phoebe. And he speaks about her servant's heart. And then he speaks about Aquila and Priscilla. And the list just goes on that Paul knew the names. And that's the beauty of it, church. 
And so as Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, you know, God's called me to be the shepherd here. And I love to pray for the sheep. And so throughout the week, we spend time in praying. Now, what's interesting is a lot of times you don't know the names of everybody. People come and go. But after a while, uh, the faces begin to develop, and they stay in your memory. And so when I pray, I go, yeah, that's the one. Let's pray for that one, Lord. And I could just see Paul. You know, years ago, one of the ladies in our church, as she was praying, God gave her a picture as I'm mentioning, of one of the other ladies in the church. And so she prayed, and then she let it go, and then the picture just kept coming back. She couldn't resist. Something was pressing on her. Why that same picture? Well, she knew the lady. And so she finished praying. She goes to the phone, and she calls up. And at that very moment, God is my witness, her husband was choking her because they were just into it. They were into a big fight, and they weren't getting along. And when the phone rang, uh, the man was choking her, and she's coughing. And then he goes, let's go over. And he goes, go answer the phone. That was God. Then he went outside, and he cooled off for a while. Would he killed her? I don't know. And she's over there, thank you for calling. What made you call right now? Says the Lord. And so we pray for the body of Christ. And so Paul, he was looking, and he was praying I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In 1 Thessalonians, listen to this beautiful verse. Chapter 5, verse 17. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now, if you look at that Greek word, it's to pray with consciousness. And the literal translation, and it's kind of difficult for us to understand, but literally, keep praying. Don't stop praying. You say, well, how is that possible? i got to go to work, and i got to do this, i got to do that. Yes, but God gives you the consciousness of prayer. And it's great, man, to, when you're driving, that God will put something in your mind. You can pray for that. You can pray for that individual. You can pray for that situation. Uh, Pastor Jeff asked that we would pray for our church, and that you would pray, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Lord, bless these burritos, and Lord, bless Calvary Chapel. How long does it take? And so God puts these beautiful things in our heart. Now, when I speak about prayer, because Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so pray without ceasing. But what is prayer? Prayer is asking God. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is speaking and listening to God. And a lot of times we like to dictate our prayer, but do we listen to the Lord? Don't let prayer, listen, I never forgot this. Don't let prayer become a, a monologue, just you. But let pr prayer be a dialogue. Wait on the Lord. God will speak to us. God ministers to us if we ask him. And then as we go to the word of God, God is speaking to you in clarity. Give thanks for the Lord. Now, years ago, when my wife and I were preparing to come out here, one of the books that inspired me in the Bible was the book of Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a man of prayer. But let me tell you what Nehemiah spoke to me. He was a simple cupbearer. That was his job. A cupbearer at the time was the one that tasted the food and the wine for the king before the king consumed it. I just wonder how long do you keep that kind of job when they want to get rid of your king? 
Well, I'm building up my, my retirement, my 401k, and then somebody wants to, hey, taste this, and you're gone. But Nehemiah was a simple man, a simple man of prayer. The Bible says that he had a burden for the walls of Jerusalem and that he waited. Listen to this. He waited four months, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then the king opened up, and God received the blessing because of the prayers of Nehemiah. And then as you continue, because he does rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and God finds favor for him through the kings because uh, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. The Bible says in the book of Nehemiah that you find a man of prayer, and I find at least 9 to 11 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. And so he was a man of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives uh, us instructions how to pray. Now, most of us grew up in the church, and we understand that position of the Our Father there in Matthew chapter 6. And we can rattle it off. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if you look at the text, Jesus is giving instructions how to pray. Our Father. So we're directing our prayer to our Heavenly Father, who art in heaven. Lord, you, you sit in all majesty on your throne. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. And so you give him reverence and praise and honor and glory. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive those that sin against me. And it goes on. Just It's a beautiful prayer. Now, like I said, most of us call it the Our Father because we grew up with the Our Father. And if you're going to pray it, then pray it. But if you really want to see the high priestly prayer, I want you to study John chapter 17. And there Jesus has this beautiful time of prayer, him and his heavenly Father. And Jesus prays so beautifully. And these are good for us. These are model prayers for us. Teach us how to pray. And don't be afraid of prayer. Well, I don't know how to talk to God. How do you talk to your wife, husband? How do you talk to your husband, wife? How do you talk to your children? How do you sit down when your mom comes over? You discuss things. Mom, what do you think about this? Dad, what do you think about this? That's how you sit down with the Lord. Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, I'm coming to you with my problems. Praise God. Man, God is there. He wants to hear. In the Gospels, we're told that Jesus three times uh, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, Lord, take this cup of death away. And so Jesus leaves us instructions how to pray. And so Paul says, I cease not to stop praying for you guys. I like that. Look at verse 17 now. And here's where the prayer of the spirit of wisdom, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. Underline that. And revelation in the knowledge of him. So here's Paul's heart. Here's Paul's prayer. His prayer for the Ephesians. Same prayer that I have for you. And I love in the text here that Paul incorporates the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he says God would give you, the Ephesian church, the spirit of wisdom. And what's the purpose of it? Notice what he says. For the purpose of receiving revelation of God with knowledge. 
The word revelation means the unveiling. The unveiling of God's knowledge to me. That's why we come to Bible studies. That's why we come to church. To receive from him. That God's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He can also speak to us. When you study the book of Revelation, uh, as Justin is teaching on Sunday nights, it's the unveiling of Christ during the time of the seven years of tribulation. Man is going to see who Christ is. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so here's Paul in verse 17. Lord, that they may know and understand your word, your precious word, and that they would know through your word they know Christ. You see, church, this cannot happen unless... You are born again of the Holy Spirit. How can I know Christ? How can I understand Christ? I, I must come to the born again experience. And so it's a beautiful understanding here. I want you to mark this verse down. I want you to listen to it. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Listen to what Paul tells the church at Philippi. That I may know him, speaking of Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed, transformed to his death. Only through the spirit of wisdom of God can I know this power of God. Only through the spirit of the wisdom of God can I understand and know his resurrection. You see, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul said to the church at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Without the resurrection, we're our men and women most miserable. And so God gives us insight as the spirit of wisdom speaks to my heart, speaks to your heart. And I want you to think of the times that maybe you've been here at church and, and something's expounded from the scriptures. You go, hey, I understand that now. That's the spirit of wisdom teaching you. Or you're going through the Bible on your own at home, and you're reading your devotion, whatever it might be, and then something just draws from the page, and it speaks to your heart, and that's the spirit of wisdom of God. He's speaking to you, ministering to you, teaching you. And so Paul continues now. Look at verse 18. This beautiful prayer that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened... And that you may know what is the hope of his calling for you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? We spoke of inheritance last week. In the saints, the things that God has given to us as Christian. And so Paul here continues his prayer. That the spirit of wisdom of God would teach you. He's praying for the Ephesians. What about us here this morning? That the spirit of the, of the wisdom of God would teach you. Just as he's praying for the church at Ephesus. And what is Paul praying that it, God would teach them? Understanding and enlightenment. That their hearts will be flooded with light of the word of God. So that they can understand the wonderful future God has promised to those he called. We spoke about being called last week. And so that they realize what a rich and glorious inheritance we spoke of, being adopted by God. You're now a child of God. And then the blessing of inheritance. The inheritance that God has given to his people. That's a promise to us. It's a promise to the church at Ephesus. You see, once I come to the knowledge of saving grace, 
as we mentioned earlier, I come to that born-again experience. What God has for us, uh, as he's given us already, his grace, his love, his mercy. All of this is for me, for you, because I have this faith in Christ now. Now because of this promise in us. It should bless us and not attract us anymore to the things of the world. The things of the world should begin to fade away. And I know those things are still there because they're still there uh, for me. But we need to learn to run from sin. We need to learn to say no to sin. Because I know now in my heart, listen, what God has done for me. How much love he has for me. That he gave his only begotten son to die on that cross for me, for you. And then he promises us, because I'm saved now, inheritance. And we shared this inheritance last week. Bind's Dictionary says that the word inheritance in the Greek, it, it means, to, it describes a, a lot, L-O-T, a lot. Or property, or real estate inheritance. You say, well, what does that mean? If you go back to the Old Testament, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And God took the 12 tribes, and when they crossed into the promised land, we're going to see that in the book of Joshua. And he gave portions of land to the 12 tribes. Uh, over here to this tribe, this land. Over here to this tribe. So all this that God has given, what about us? In John 14, uh, it tells us that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you in my dwelling places. He's going to build places for us. Now, a lot of conjecture there. What is God building? A mansion for me? In some of the translation, it says he's going to build a mansion for me. I like what one preacher said, and I never forgot it. Hey, you can have the mansion. All I want to do is get to heaven. If God has me to sweep your porch, your mansion, praise God, as long as I get to heaven. But God has a place for us. And as we mentioned last week, he, everything that God has, he's given to me. He's given to you. We might never own anything in this world. But when we get to heaven, it's all yours. But you see, as I study God's word, as the Holy Spirit gives me wisdom, there's conviction also of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit says, no, Bob, don't do that. No, Bob, what you just said is wrong. And the conviction comes. For me, it comes quickly now because I've studied the Word of God for so many years. And as soon as I mess up, the Holy Spirit is there to convict. And I thank God for that, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's praying for the spirit of wisdom to fall upon them. Look at verse 19 now. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? He's speaking to the church according to the working of his mighty power. And so Paul continues now his prayer for them. And I pray that you will begin to understand uh, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him through his son, Jesus Christ. This same mighty power, this working power of God is for the church at Ephesus, but it's also for us here this morning at Calvary Chapel. Now, when we look at the word power in the New Testament, oftentimes we just speak of the Greek word dunamis. 
And dunamis power was spoken about the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon the early church back in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And that power is dynamic power, explosive power. It's power that gives us boldness to be an effective witness for Christ. But the power that Paul's speaking of here in verse 19 is kratos in the Greek, and it changes a little bit. It means power, it means dominion, it means strength, it means might. And all of this that I can have, you can have, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. He's given us this authority, this power. Now, we have a choice. I can have the power and the wisdom of man, the power and the wisdom of the world, or we can have the power and the wisdom of God. And so Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, my prayer for you this morning, that we would have the power and the wisdom of God to make the right decisions. When we come to the crossroads, when your friend Jack comes to you and wants you to go get drunk with him, that you can have the power of God to lift up your Bible and say, hey, come with me. You see, we played that game for too many years. There has to be change. There has to be transformation. And it only comes by the spirit of the wisdom of God working in and through your heart. Now, there's a scripture that always applies to so much in the world. And I want you to turn because I want you to read it. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. And look at verse 36, please. Jesus here is teaching his disciples the cost of discipleship. A disciple is a learner of Christ. A disciple is a pupil of Christ, a student of Christ. And so Paul says, count the cost of discipleship. And then Jesus says something very interesting. You take up your cross now and you follow me. And so we've been speaking about this wisdom of the world. Imagine one day that I could be on Forbes' list. What would we do? We'd probably never see you again. Oh, Lord, if I could just hit that, you know, power eight. If I could just hit that lotto in, in Southern California, whatever it might be, it would just take care of all my problems. I've heard this, Pastor Bob, you know, we're, we're playing the lotto, and if we win, we're going to build you a church. I said, really? You know what happens to most people that run into millions? There's a man named Whitaker. He won $350 million. I've read his testimony. The man's a mess. He's had people in his family that have died. He's lost so much money. He says it wasn't worth it. But then he goes into a bar and he shoots his mouth off. He tells them, I got money in my RV. And they go and rob him. I always keep $400,000 in one of my boots. They rob his boot. And he says, oh, I wonder why these things are happening. One of his grandchildren gave him a lot of money, bought all kinds of drugs, killed himself. And so what is power? What is the wisdom of man? Be careful with the appetites of the world. We could become like Solomon. And because of 700 wise, 300 concubines, he began to worship the foreign gods. But look at this beautiful text. I'm just going to give you two verses here. Mark chapter 8, look at verse 36. Jesus says, what will it profit a man, a woman, a young person, if he gains the whole world, but he loses his or her own soul? So you have everything. 
but you lose your own soul. You gain all the wisdom of the world, and, and so we go uh, to the higher education, and we get all the degrees, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it takes you the other way now. Well, I don't need God. In fact, the, the teachings I've received now, I understand there is no God. And that happens so much, church. And so what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, lose his own soul? Look at verse 37. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Fill in the blank. What has man given in exchange for, your, for their soul? Lord, if you would just make me, if I could just arrive, if I could just, you know, what is it? What is it that will make us happy? Now, we need, the, we need God working in our hearts first. And then we need the spirit of the wisdom of God, the spirit of the power of God. And church, Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus that obviously the Holy Spirit was teaching him because we find them later in the seven churches to Asia Minor, and that was the first church there in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And Jesus said to them, I have this one thing against you. And they were doing everything. The church at Ephesus was a working church, was a witnessing church. But after about 30 years, their estimate is that they left their first love. They had all the mechanics of the ministry going, but they left their love of Christ. That so easily happens. I have to be careful that it doesn't overtake me the study of my word. I love to study God's word. But that I would also find time to worship God. That I would also find time uh, to be like Mary that was basking at the foot of Jesus. And yet Mary's uh, sister, Martha, was very busy. And Jesus said that, the thing that Mary did was good. The thing that Martha did was good. There's a time to serve. And then there's a time to worship. There's a time to study. There's a time to worship. There's a time to pray. There's also a time to worship. We're going to study in the book of Joshua. When Joshua comes back, one of the battles that they lost. And Joshua goes into his tent, falls on his face, and he starts crying out and praying to God. And the Lord says, Joshua, get up. It's not time to pray. It's time to go fight. And I think sometimes that's us. Oh, I got to study. I got to study. And I have to be careful. I take breaks in between my study and just, just to ask the Lord to bless it. I don't want to just teach information, but touch the hearts of those that are coming. Speak to us, especially in this area. Lord, that we would have the spirit of wisdom. I want to make the right decisions. You want to make the right decisions. Look at verse 20 now. Let's go back to our text. And now Paul's been speaking about, you know, having this spirit of wisdom and the power of the spirit of God. And he gives you the reason why he draws it from Christ, because Christ is everything. Look at verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and the heavenly places. Now, we know there's three texts. I don't have them in front of me. The Father had his hand in rising Jesus from the dead. The Spirit had his hand in rising Jesus from the dead. And Jesus himself had a hand in the resurrection. 
important to see that. And so now Jesus has all this, but it's also for us. But he died on the cross to give us life. And so he sits in the heavenly places now at the right hand of God. Now, we understand last week, Paul says we're in the heavenly places now. We'll draw from that. But look at verse 20 again. All this I have prayed for you. God has worked out for you, for me, for the church, for the body of Christ, in and through Jesus Christ. All this was possible because Jesus died, was buried, then on the third day he rose again from the dead. And he sits now at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly place. The Bible says he makes intercession for me. Yet Paul, back in verse 3, he said, we're in the heavenly places now with Jesus Christ. And that's true. Now, there's going to be the time when we get to heaven, and we will be in the heavenly place, literally. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're in the heavenly places now. I mean, we're in Christ now. And we can experience the things of heaven as we look at the Scriptures, as God teaches us His Word. In John 14, 6, this is a powerful scripture because Paul's saying here, all of this that we've acquired, all of this that we have, all this access, the things that we ask for, we ask through Christ. Why? Because Jesus is God. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus becomes our mediator, our go-between. He becomes the mercy seat. He becomes a propitiation for my sins. Back in the book of Job, Job was looking for a days man. A days man is a mediator. A days man is a go-between. In order for me to get to heaven, in order for me to get to, to God the Father, I must go through the cross. I must go through Jesus. You see, a lot of people have a hard time with that. Because a lot of people have this concept, many roads lead to God. And I ask this question, which God? There's a lot of gods out there. The proof text, Solomon, Solomon's wives. Come on, Solomon, build me an altar over here for, for my God. Solomon, build me an altar over here for my God. And Solomon was caught up into the things of the world, and he knew better. God is our mediator. You know, in all reality, when we get to heaven and, and you stand before the throne room of God, now let's say you're standing in front of the Father, the books are open, and then you start to plead your case. Well, God, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. And then he points over to his son. What did you do with my son? I sent him to be the complete sacrifice for you. Well, I just thought Jesus was a good man, a good humanitarian. I thought Jesus was a great philosopher, great teacher. A good man to have around when you need to feed 5,000 people. See, a lot of concepts about Jesus. My Bible says that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the Christos. He is the Mashiach that has come to die for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Turn with me to this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Here Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi, the exaltation of Christ, who he is. 
You see, you can talk about God. You can talk about politics. Listen, you can talk about religion. But when you get around a group of people and then you start to speak up, oh, listen, at my church, we believe that Jesus is God and salvation is only through Christ. I can guarantee you they're not going to bring you back to any of those parties. You're not going to get invited back because people want religion. They want comfortableness. People want to be stroke, basically. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. But listen to what Paul says here now to the church at Philippi. Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. He's speaking about Jesus. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Now listen to this. Verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, church, the time is going to come, like it or not. I don't believe in God, some people have told me. I'm a heathen. I'm an atheist. I'm a nonconformist. I just want to live. Listen, my Bible says you're going to have to answer to God one day, like it or not. I don't believe in you. You're going to answer to that one that you don't believe in. You see, the time will come that all mankind, all mankind, Man, women, young person, old, will stand before their maker. And Paul is saying something radical here. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God. Now, here's the beauty of this. You see, we're not animals. Animals have an instinct. I I love when, you know, it's time for the birds to fly south. You can't stop them. I mean, do they look at their watch or their calendar and say, hey, it's time to head out? No. Instinct. I love it. You read of some of these birds that travel, you know, thousands of miles. But God has built in us free moral agency. We have the ability to choose. We can choose to accept Christ or we can choose to reject Christ. But every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Listen, that's going to take place. And we'll either bow and confess unto judgment or we'll bow and confess unto salvation. The choice is ours. Well, that's not fair. I I didn't believe in God. I said there was no God. Hey, he's right here, man. And the only thing we're going to be judged for is what did we do with his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21 now. We're getting close to the end here. And uh, verse 21, let's go back to our text. Far above, he's still speaking about the authority of Christ. We just declared him in verse 20 that he is God. In verse 21, far above all principality. That's all the angels in heaven, good or bad. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Here Paul is declaring that Jesus is above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come because Jesus is God. And again, those are fighting words in in, in some places. Well, what about Gandhi? Well, what about him? What about Mohammed? Well, what about him? Well, what about Confucius? And, and the list goes on. There's been a lot of powerful men. 
There's been a lot of powerful women. But the Bible says that my Jesus, your Jesus, he died on the cross to give us life. And the proof text is, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the power of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we shared it earlier, then we're all men and women most miserable. But Jesus died, was buried on the third day. He rose again. And then the Bible says there was a 40-day post-resurrection before he went into his ascension. But I want you to listen to this verse now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Witness is such an important task. You see, when I see my brothers in Christ, that God has changed them. That's a tremendous witness to me. Before I came to Saving Grace, I knew a lot of good people back in Southern California that were drug addicts, alcoholics, and, and whoremongers, and God transformed them. God changed them. Only the power of God could do that. Not the 12-step program or, or not going to 28 days to some secluded island or something. Those are all good if you can go. But until you receive Christ, it's not going to change anything. And so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, listen to this. This is the risen Christ now. Paul said he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. And then it says Peter, the 12, James, and the rest of the apostles, they saw him. And then I like this. And then Paul says himself, I saw Jesus later. Paul is the one born out of due season. Now, back in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, we're told that Paul spent three years, listen, in Arabia. And there in Arabia, I believe the Holy Spirit was teaching Paul. And I also believe that Jesus came to Paul because Paul saw the risen Christ. And one of the positions to call yourself an apostle in those days was to have seen the risen Christ. And so Paul, so beautifully here, I don't know about you, but 500 people witnessed the risen Christ. And then I say, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, these 500 collaborated together. Well, that's kind of strange. And then we have, you know, 1950 years later, and the same message is coming forth. But the key is that God can change a man or a woman that was so steep into sin. You see, only God can change a homosexual a lesbian, a fornicator, an adulterer, a drug addict, an alcoholic. I tried to stop drinking. I couldn't. I was always attracted to it. I couldn't get away from Johnny Walker Red. He followed me everywhere. And, and it's sad. But once you come to God, he takes these things away. And so Paul's giving this beautiful testimony that Jesus is above all these things. That's why we go to him. Look at verse 22. Let's go back to our text. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head, listen, over all the things in the church. God placed his son to be in charge. To be in charge. Interesting that the Bible teaches us that we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And the Bible says that we end our prayer in Jesus' name. And I told you I was invited to come and pray over here with the commissioners of Doñana. They asked a pastor to come. Well, when I got up, I said, okay, let's pray. They tell you, just give us an opening prayer. It's the first of the month. 
And then three guys, periodically, they came up to me. Uh, Pastor, uh, you're going to open in prayer, the invocation? Yes, sir. Uh, can we ask a favor? Uh, can you not pray in Jesus' name? I go, okay. I'll think about it. Then here comes another guy. And another guy, three guys in a row. The third guy said, well, why don't you guys invite me? Invite somebody that's not going to pray in Jesus' name. But they know you already. Or you're going to offend somebody. You know what you're going to offend? There were some Jewish guys there. You're going to offend? There were some homosexuals there. Hey, don't invite me then if you don't want me to pray in Jesus' name. Get somebody from the liberal church and they'll do it. Well, I've never been invited back. <laughs> but in verse 22, God has put, listen, all things under the authority of Jesus Christ, and he has given him, listen, the authority for the benefit of the church. And what's interesting is God has placed the church also in charge. It's not that we change rules or we add rules, but we do what the scripture says, what the word of God has to say. Not what Pastor Bob or Calvary Chapel has to say. What does the word of God have to say? The conclusion, look at verse 23 now. And he says all these things that have been put under his feet. And so he speaks of this. What is it? Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills in all things. Now this body is speaking about the church. The church is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything everywhere with his presence. With his presence. Real quick, turn with me. We're going to end here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But he, and all authority has been given to Christ. And all authority has been given to his church. And Jesus has filled that church. Now, I believe the authority of the church is, is powerful as long as we stay in the word of God. Be careful when we add to the word or we take away from the word. Well, I just had a new revelation from God. Really? And what did God say? Well, you know, in the new revelation of God, and then they give you this bizarre interpretation. We have 66 books. We have Old Testament, New Testament. Why do we need any more? Well, what about those lost books of the Bible, Pastor Bob? What about them? Well, I heard there was a third letter to the Corinthians. What about it? You know what we're looking for? If we find that third letter, maybe Paul changes his mind. Hey, you can get drunk on Saturdays. Hey, you can have a couple of concubines. Look at Saul. I mean, King uh, Solomon. And so we're always looking for, like a good lawyer, loopholes. What we have, let's be concerned of. I'm not concerned about the lost books of the Bible. Obviously, God has given us 66 books. But look at 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. One body of Christ. When we get to heaven, don't look for Calvary Chapel. Don't look for the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church. It's the church, the body of Christ. We'll be together. Look at verse uh, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. Verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. I like that. I like that. 